UK Motor Talk. Hi everyone and and welcome. Good evening, good morning. Whenever you're listening to us, welcome along. This is UK Motor Talk and I'm Mike. Hello. And I'm Graham. Good evening. Hello. And I'm Dave, or it was the last time I looked. Now, before we go any further, this Alpha GTV, how much is it up for at the minute? Because I'm still not tempted. I'm just intrigued to see how low it'll go before it disappears back off Facebook. That's a great question. I think the last time I checked, it was something like £835 or something. It's a really odd number. I can only suggest it must have been some sort of percentage that Facebook is suggesting gets reduced by each time. There's, There's got to be a tipping point for you where you think, it's it's got to be worth a punt at that, surely. Probably a tenth of what you've you've just told me it was worth. I think eight hundred and five was what you said at the end of the last podcast. Mm. So eighty five quid, and we might be able to talk. But to be honest, having a, an eighty five pound pile of rust on my drive probably isn't something that's going to go down well with the missus. So um, I. Yes, still no, no from me. I'm afraid a, a resounding no. But thank you anyway. Cost you more than eighty five quid just to have it sitting on the drive for every ten minutes. <laughs> it's exactly. got to be five hundred quid's worth of interior there, though. Surely it's probably. I was thinking that when you were saying about it's worth having it for the interior. I mean, if it's the mobile leather interior, which I had it in is. mine. Oh well, yeah. there, in that case, yeah, you've you've definitely got a, a very good sort of scrap dealer special there. Um, the Momo leather is probably the hardest wearing thing in the entire car. <laughs> hardest working as well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do wonder whether actually mainstream cars did Alfa Romeo have the best interior in the nineties? I think they might have had the best dash. Yep, hooded dials for the win. Yeah, I, I remember the one five six coming out and thinking the interior of that was absolutely gorgeous. And the mm. same with one five nine actually, which was, which is noughties rather than rather than nineties. Mm. But just thinking back, do you, if you remember the sort of C class of the era, sort of the boxy C classes, where the where the build quads all went wrong for Mercedes or started to go wrong back in the nineties. So I'm not saying the ones with the twin, the sort of the twin circular headlamps or the, the sort of blob eye um, fried egg specials that they had on the front, but the, the boxy, the boxy C class. That looked, I think, probably a bit dated for its time. I remember looking inside one of those or getting inside one of those and thinking it was a bit disappointing compared to a Mondeo. And I think that's, you expect a Mercedes to be the next level up, don't you, rather than a decade apart. And then you, you jump something like the Alpha and the seats are beautiful and the, the, the centre console and everything else. Just really nice looking. I think they still stack up today, to be honest. Yeah, they stack up in the boot. I drove in, <laughs> in, in period, I think, a... An Alpha One Six Four and an S Class Mercedes, and the Alpha was, in a lot of ways, a much more enjoyable driving experience. Particularly the interior; it was mm. just very, very swish. Lots of straight edges and, and rows and rows of buttons in the One Six Four, wasn't it? It was just literally mm. a row of everything, and you had to look very carefully to find out whether you were turning the heat up or down, or whether you were putting the hazard lights on again. The V Six was a very quick uh, motor car, despite the fact it was physically a very big one. Mm. I, I miss buttons in cars. I've, I've been driving a lot mm. of cars recently that don't have a lot of buttons, or they keep putting the buttons in different places, despite it being the same manufacturer, which I find really weird. So the controls, you'd always be, like if you jumped into, I don't know, let's use Ford or Vox as an example, you jumped into both of them, all the bits are roughly in the same place. If you've driven one, you can drive all of them, everything's in exactly the same sort of place. Now they're all over the place. The start-stop button that might be behind the indicator is sometimes in the dash or on the side of the steering column and bongs and beeps and bits and pieces. I think a return to buttons wouldn't be a bad thing. Here, here. I do find the start-stop buttons 
sometimes just in the most inaccessible places. I mean, you'd expect to be able to sit in the seat, hold the steering wheel, and immediately visible would be the start-stop button. No, it's hiding behind the boss or hiding behind something else. Why would you do that? Mm, it's, it's kind of the equivalent of when you used to have the key slot for the ignition, it would be the wrong way round or sideways or whatever, and you could... You could always tell the cars that were different to all the others because the steering column would be scratched to buggery, just all <laughs> over. It would like, like someone had tried to key it up or something. But there, there were some quite interesting interiors and some quite functional interiors. Uh, I'm thinking Saab were also quite interesting. And we've mentioned before about this. We had the night button yeah. where it turned everything off apart from most of the speedos. So you were fine unless you were going above whatever the posted number was on there. I think it was about 70 or something, at which point you'd have no idea what speed you were doing. And then there were other cars which were just pure luxury we were talking about the torsolander volvos mm. in our in our mm. podcast chat which we, we were getting particularly excited i think it was a 240 that jim had seen out and about and posted some pictures up and like, oh the torsolander just so comfortable i don't know I don't, I, there's something there's something missing from modern interiors apart from the smell which incidentally is, is often removed depending on where the car sold in different markets because certain marks, um, I think it's China particularly, don't like the new car smell. So they try and remove a lot of the smell from, from the car before it, uh, when it's built. But I think each manufacturer had its own distinctive new car smell to go along with its interior. If I jump in the onion, it still smells the same as, as my parents one did when I was a kid. And not because we've just spilt the same things or something. Um, <laughs> but the, the, the cheap glue and, and velour had its own particular own particular whiff. And when people see them at shows or whatever, I say, oh, you know, jump in, I pop the door over, they go, oh, God, it still smells the same. And it's always the same comment every single time. Oh, it smells exactly the same. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's something missing from car engines. I think this warrants a further chat, some other juncture. But if you've got any thoughts about this and you're listening now, tweet us, write to us. We're at UK Motor Talk everywhere. So just send us a message. Let us know your thoughts on modern car interiors versus perhaps car interiors from 80s, 90s, noughties. Let us know what you think is a particularly good interior. Maybe you could get uh, one of those sort of magic tree things to hang in your car, which is age-related. So rather than owed a taxi driver, you could have uh, 40s Rover or 50s Jaguar. or You know, it would really bring these things back. Smells of Weathers Originals. Um, the smell of burning uh, oil, basically. <laughs> and besides which, everything in period had a faux orange hanging in the window. Uh, oh, God, yeah. yes. You yeah, can't but... get them anymore. I've looked. I've looked. I remember as well, we used to go on holiday to France as kids a fair bit, and a, a treat was always, believe it or not, to go to a massive caravan, you know, the hypermarkets, before they became a thing mm. here. And they always had faux orange, but they also had, in the French one, one year we went, an Alain Prost branded one, which what? instead of the instead of the sort of um, light round sort of... Um, Sort of octagonal lamp in the middle there had a square of Alain Prost scented fluid. God knows what <laughs> Alain Prost smelt like. This I don't know. It might have been Eau de Alain, but it was it was Alain Prost. And it had his it has his um, signature in gold across. It. it was black. It had to be black, didn't it? And the bit in the middle was orange square, and it had Alain Prost scrawled across the top. And I've I wish I'd kept it because I had it for years and I would not use it. I got two. In fact, I bought two. I bought one to smell it and one to keep because I thought, this is so cool. I'll never see these again. And I didn't. Probably worth a fortune. Yeah, if I could find it, it probably is. Yeah. I wish I still had it. 
the original four because they, they re-released them for a while but the original four oranges are are worth a, a bit of cash now because everyone mm. loves and buys into the retro bits and pieces I was, I was thinking about fitting an anti-static strap on the back of my car I, I can't <laughs> remember the last time I saw one of those did they actually do anything did no. they work no. Was it just for a look? I, I... You had to have faith to believe in them. Uh, they, they were <laughs> a, a, a sort of quasi-religious experience. You were you were grounded if you had one and probably should have been grounded if you didn't. <laughs> it, it, yep. it, it's disappeared like the nodding dogs, um, those door edge protectors everyone used to have with the little reflectors in. I'm sure at, at least a couple of the cars we had when we were kids had those on and probably mud flaps, to be honest. Something I have seen recently, and I think somebody mentioned it, Possibly last week, but uh, just as a follow-up, which was the little uh, parking lamp that you hung on the top of your window to prevent anybody driving into the side of you. And I know uh, there's a village not very far from me which has had multiple sideswipe accidents where they've all got little flags or little um, little lamps hanging out the side to try and prevent uh, the early morning vans from driving straight into the sides of their cars. So I didn't mm. realise you could still get the lamps, though. I imagine LED ones would use next to no power, wouldn't they? It kind of makes Indeed. sense. Why not? Yeah, it's mm. a very good idea. And I suppose another thing, when people used to park in garages, and uh, Jim and I were talking about this the other day, when you used to hang a tennis ball from the ceiling, so you knew at which point when it hit the back window that you'd reach the back of your garage, and that's the point where you should stop, because, of course, mm. no parking tents or anything in those days. Mm. But, yeah, proper nostalgia there. Proper nostalgia. Thing of the past, you know. I remember seeing somebody who had a, a foam-covered pallet on their back wall of their garage. So it got them just the right spacing and uh, without them actually uh, crashing into anything. There you go. So th- this is when, of course, cars came. If, if your car had something fitted to it, you either had a blank in the dashboard because you were too tight to, to buy the model that had it, or it was just there. There was no there's no middle ground. It's not like the subscriptions that we were speaking about in our last podcast, where the stuff's inside the car, but you have to pay a ridiculous amount for it. So £15 a month for heated seats in a BMW, £10 a month for a heated steering wheel, and things like CarPlay data. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. We got really angry about it. And if you've not heard it, go back and listen to the last uh, podcast. But in the meantime, we've had contact. Forza Finance have done their uh, their own survey on this and they've surveyed a sample of people and you can find the link to this on our, on our website at UK Motor Talk. And 92% of people are against the idea of having to pay for a subscription for something. If it's in the car, don't be tight. We should own it. Simple as that. And it should never time out. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, Go back and listen to the last podcast where we rant about this for quite some time. Someone who's no stranger of charging by uh, by the month or whatever for use of various features in cars, Mr. Elon Musk, who will uh, relieve you of a few pounds every month if you want to have his car autopilot you to a certain degree down the road. That's a relatively new thing. Going back to when Tesla first started, you may or may not be aware, but uh, their first offering was something that was not that different to a Lotus Elise, mainly because it was a Lotus Elise without the engine and with an electric motor in it. Uh, they're now going for stupid money. I was just looking on Autotrader. Uh, there's only one Tesla Roadster, around about 2012, so that's about the uh, year they came out, 2011, 2012. It's only got 4,750 miles on it, admittedly. Try and have Tells a the story. Guess. Have a guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If you've ever seen that episode of Top Gear, you'll know what we're talking about. Um, take a rough guess how much this one's up for at the moment. See, 
So what year is it? Uh, it's a 2012 12 Reg, uh, 4,750 miles, and it's got precisely 248 of your brake horsepower. That's of any interest. So bearing in mind that these are, I think, that, well, they're, they're in a lease, aren't they, effectively? Basically, basically um, that's exactly what they are, yeah. So what's, what's one of those now, that sort of age? So anywhere between 20 and 30? So I'm going I'm to go somewhere in that bracket. Mm, um, well... Add add another zero on the end of that, and you're getting close. Two hundred and twenty-five mm. grand. That's no. pounds, British pounds. What? Two hundred and twenty-five thousand. That's absolute madness. Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to see how they stack up to modern electric lightweight cars. So when Lotus gets going, we've got the a number of electric um, sports cars on on the horizon, which have the the sort of stack behind the driver, effectively, to give you mm. that, um, that mid-engined sort of layout, I suppose, for a better way of putting it. Mid battery, not sure. Um, it'd be <laughs> interesting to see how that how that stacks up by comparison. But that's a lot of money, isn't it? It is, and the range isn't all that either, as I recall. I mean, again, harking back to the infamous Top Gear thing, it it did about half an hour's worth of going around the track before it conked out, which didn't please uh, certain Mister Musk very much. But uh, that I think that's the exception because I seem to remember. You know, I'm a fairly big fan of. Uh, our friend Doug Demuro, who tested one not so long ago uh, over in the States, and it was two, three years ago, and they may have skyrocketed since then, but I seem to remember him being sort of all aghast at the fact that it was $100,000, so £225,000, and we're not that far mm. off parity with the dollar these days. Thank you, Brexit. Yeah. But um, that's an <laughs> awful, it's an awful lot of money. And it only prompted me to look at one of these because uh, my brother's away working in the Channel Islands at the minute, and more specifically Jersey. And he sent me a photo of one that he saw parked up in a multi-storey. And um, I thought, oh, that's quite cool. I wonder how much those are worth now. 225 grand is exactly how much those mm. are worth if they're on, certainly on low miles, like 4750 But even so. Was it one of those bad. we went up the hill in at Goodwood a very, very long time ago 2010 2011 a very young looking james woods driving i actually saw the photo recently um he's still a very very quick uh, peddler of cars that we had enough been... charge to get to the top <laughs> <laughs> it, i it would have been the novelty i seem to remember round about that time you know obviously now electric cars are everywhere but you know there's the thing you can look up online um you can sort of see how many horsepower a car has got by looking up its registration number and, and all this sort mm. of things. Um, find my car or, or something like that. I can't remember. You can find out all sorts of details, what sort of engine it's got in it, what gearbox, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I remember at the time seeing a Tesla Roadster on the road and thinking, oh, just for the novel, I'll look up its details. And to see zero uh, CC was actually quite shocking, no pun intended, um, on the on the details. But obviously now it's the norm. But back then it was... Um, it was a bit of an eye opener. I had a bit of a, a trip yesterday, and I was—I suppose I probably shouldn't be amazed, but the amount of um, electric cars surrounding me on the road, a huge amount of Teslas. I think another Mac. I was driving a Mac E yesterday, and um, it, it's definitely much more noticeable now, despite all the the recent press which suggests that people are abandoning them and there are huge queues to charge and all the rest of it. And despite the current astronomical cost of electricity, they, they are hugely popular. The SMMT January figures suggest something like 24%, I think it was, of total car sales yeah. in January Yeah, yeah. were, were wow. EV, EVs. I think something like four times the amount of, of uh, EVs than diesels. I had an mm. interesting conversation with someone the other day and said, oh, everyone wants diesels, they don't want electric stuff, electric doesn't work, this, that and the other. And I thought, okay, I thought the stats don't quite, uh, don't quite um, agree with that, but fair enough. Um, 
definitely much harder to make a case for it these days, unless, of course, it's a company car, in which case really isn't hard to make a case for having an electric, particularly if you can charge at work or something similar, because the company car tax is ridiculous. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely definitely much noticeable out there. Uh, but I'm I'm surprised that the the Tesla Roadsters are worth quite so much, really. Uh, well, I, I don't... There's one one in space. There's one less on the road, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Uh... <laughs> if you can get that one done, it's probably you probably get it on salvage, couldn't you? But I mean, I I don't know if that's a representative figure. I mean, I've, there's only one on Auto Trader, but I, I'll do a bit of digging and I'll see if I can find one that's uh, marginally less ridiculously expensive. But I suspect they're going to be in the um, in the hundreds of thousands, regardless now, because that's where Tesla came from, and you know. Everyone likes to have the first of the breed to say this is this is the one that kicked off the legend, as it were. That'd be about a, the deposit you'd need to buy one of the electric Spano Sweetsers that was uh, recently launched. Because they're uh, a little over a million. Wow. me. Wow. I, I just, I, I guess it must be people that decide they want one at any cost, but much like the Impreza 22B that are going for around about 300 grand, you just think, who who is buying that? It's definitely well beyond the reach of any any normal person, and I, I dare say it's it's well beyond the reach and interest of anyone that has a couple of quid in their pocket. It, it must be someone that really, really wants it. For who or for whom should I say is one of a number of cars in the collection. It just seems a bit mad. And we we've mentioned before other cars. We've spoken at length about the likes of Cosworths and things being you know unobtainable. But yeah, I mean, what I, I did see this week. Uh, I think actually you sent the the link to me, um, Dave. Is is a Vauxhall Victor that was found unknown, obviously loved, so it wasn't unloved, but in an outbuilding, just surrounded, overgrown, but incredibly well preserved. This was quite interesting. I thought. Yeah, I mean, this this is absolutely bizarre, wasn't it? I mean, it's only got eighty miles on the clock, so unless somebody's wound it back and just kept it looking really nice, this. This thing was bought over 50 years ago, Vauxhall Victor FE, so, you know, quite a plush car of the time. 1974, bought from a garage in Ilkeston in Derby on April the 12th, 1974, to be precise. And basically, uh, it was just taken, had had a bit of work done on it and then put in the garage. And that was it. Everything that could go wrong with it or that could go rusty or could break or anything was taken off and put in the boot. And there it sat for 50 years until it was found by people who were demolishing outbuildings following the passing of the person who owned it and the family had asked them to clear the place and do some work. The builder or the demolition contractor found it, thought, what are we going to do with this? He bought it and it now lives somewhere that it really ought to be living, to be perfectly honest, at the Great British Car Journey, which is this fantastic new uh, car attraction up north where you can go and see all the cars your dad used to have if you're of a certain age and you can actually drive them so i think we need to have a bit of a a, a lad's trip up there at some point because that's mm. that could be quite a fun place to go especially if you can go and drive things if they'll start but i think there's a fairly good chance that this thing given how pristine it looks in all the photos and again 80 miles uh, mm. from 1974 uh, that must be on the list of a few people to go and have a, have a tootle round in. I, I do enjoy these barn find stories of things that have been uh, neglected for years and years and years. Usually they're not in the same sort of condition as this one because clearly whoever put this one away intended it to last because they, they, they stripped off all the bits that, that would otherwise rust and coated the body and coated the underside and so on and so on. So you know mm. this was this was done with with certainly intent but then 
you would wonder why you would do that for a car that was, you know, I mean, it was a good car in its day, but it was a relatively humdrum car. It was a reps car, if you like, or certainly maybe at the level of the bank manager's car. But it was not, you know, it's not a collectible car. And why only 84 miles? I, certainly there have been voxels I've jumped into where 84 miles has been enough. Uh, the Mariva <laughs> being one particular low light. Uh, I think for me, uh, certainly 84 miles would have been more than I'd ever want to do in the, in the car's lifetime. But nevertheless, he obviously loved it. It's you know, The seats were covered in, in plastic. To try and, and I've seen this done before. People have vinyl covers for seats, that are clear plastic covers. And it must be uncomfortably sweaty. I can only imagine. Mm. It must be horrible. Just just imagining the, ooh, the sort of the, the bum sweat now. That's ooh, just as a thought. But yeah, I mean, Fair play that they that he, he's obviously kept it. Apparently, he was um, a bit of a recluse. The chap kept himself to himself, and and no oh, one well. really knows the answer. Maybe there's a type for Vauxhall Victors. You tell me. Write to us. Tell us. I had a Vauxhall Victor, and I wasn't a recluse at UK Motor Talk. <laughs> was that the model, or was it the Vauxhall Victor recluse? The Vauxhall. It, it does have a sound to it. I think a recluse sounds like it should be an American model. The Cadillac recluse. Roost seats. Yes. Reclusive seats. I get sent loads of barn finds from America, and as you know, I'm into American motors, and just the stuff that turns up. The guy who has 30 Chevys parked in a field, and they've been there for years, and suddenly somebody spots them and, and buys the lot. You know, it's just, it just seems to happen all the time. I saw Bonhams is currently selling somebody's secret stash of Jaguars. Uh, I'll tease this out of my memory. They're all late 40s, early 50s, They've been stuck in the garage. One of them was a sports car, or racing sports car, built by Jaguar for Phil Hill, which I think must have been about 51, 52, something like that. So mm. are these just been used, bought by somebody, and, and just hidden away, and suddenly they've reappeared, and they're up for auction imminently in the States. Who bottoms? This has got Wayne Carini written all over it, hasn't it? If you've ever seen uh, Chasing yeah. Classic Cars, he spends his whole mm. life hurtling across various parts of the States, going and finding a Porsche 356 that's got bullet holes in the door but hasn't moved for about 40 years, or a lot of Jags. And uh, and the word Bonhams obviously triggered that thought because he he does take a lot of them to those those particular auctions. But it mm. never ceases to amaze me, you know, the exotica that that man can unearth and yet compare and contrast with a, with a 50-year-old old Vauxhall Victor FE. It's um, Only the Brits could do it that way. It always amazes me, and, and it amazes me about cars, but I suppose like the Onion. These are everyday humdrum cars, as you say. How have these survived? It doesn't particularly amaze me that a Ferrari survives or a Lamborghini still exists or you know some exotic sports car. But when you find a Metro or a Maestro or a Montego or... Any British Leyland product? I don't know where that oh, that sort of string of cars all came from, but but not exclusively them. You know, an old Renault nineteen, whatever it might be. How have these survived? What, uh, what has been bestowed upon them? It's what good fortune, or I've quite taken to watching Bangers and Cash. Yeah, oh, I love that, and, and it's a it's a series I do like. But the one that I caught a bit of this evening, which I seem to have missed earlier on, was the guy who uh, disembodied quite literally a Toyota MR2 and recreated a Ferrari 355 GTS body oh, on the God. top of it, and and uh, it was a it was a terribly sad thing, really. Um, you know, I mean, yes. I love 
tragic. The, three, the 355 is one of my favourite cars of all time, one of the best drives I've ever mm. had. But it reminded me of many, many years ago, a classic car dealer that used to lend me cars who offered me a VW-powered Bugatti, which was, you know, <laughs> it didn't quite cut it. I mean, it looked wonderful. It sounded shite. It sounded just awful. <laughs> you know, a, a V-dub Bugatti racer from the 1920s, just not quite the thing. I would rather have the, a V-dub with a Bugatti engine. And I think, I know we're all the same with this when it comes to the sleeper side of things. I can only imagine the embarrassment of, of pulling up at the traffic lights in your 355 as MR2 with the weird wonky wheel offset that they all seem to have and just the slightly, slightly to cock proportions. And then someone pulls alongside you and leaves you for dead. Mm. You, just, in a milk flow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit like a fake Rolex or something, isn't it? It's just, you, you, what, you want to show, I just don't get it. What was the one that used to be the donor? It was the Pontiac Fiero, wasn't it? That yeah. used to get turned oh, yeah. into a 308. And, the proportions were slightly better on those, but like you mm. say, the the um, the MR2 to 355 conversion is horrific. And I saw, I think it was on one of the police interceptors programs that's constantly on any one of the Channel 5 branded channels these days. Uh, somebody had done the same, but turned it into, turned it into, he's doing the air quotes here, a Lamborghini Gallardo. Uh, or was Oof. it a Gallardo? Or was it no? It's a Murcielago, so it was even more tragic. And it had the scissor Oof. doors, and it was Kermit green. So if you're going to go crap, go crap big time. I, I imagine. But I mean, mm. he was so proud of it, though. That was the thing. And it had what looked like the real lights because they looked comically out of proportion to the rest of the car because they're quite big rear lights, those. But you need mm. a big rear body to carry them, which this evidently didn't <laughs> didn't have. Did not have the acceptable booty. No, closer to dung than bling. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> there are some definitely acceptable kit cars, though. There are some things I think, and these were definitely more more common back in in the nineties and noughties and before, weren't they? Let's face it. But Caterham Sevens are kit cars. That's fine. I've got to mention those in in Jim's absence. Yeah. There's the Quantum, the little Fiesta Quantums that were based on XR2s and bits and pieces. I think they're kind of okay because they don't pretend to be anything else. That, basically, kit cars that don't pretend to be something they're not. I think that's fine, isn't no, it? No, kit cars are fine. I've got no problem with kit cars, and some people yeah. have done very well out of them. I mean, some would say that TVRs are essentially kit cars, but certainly uh, Marcos mm. were more or less yeah. kit cars, Yeah, yeah. including the one that tried to kill me. Uh, once upon a time, there were lots of manufacturers of kit cars, uh, essentially. They're very, very small, low volume, produced in, in, in a larger-than-usual garage basically, mm. and, but in very small numbers. Mm. But I, I guess the most popular one is the GT40. Mm. You know, just about everybody's produced a GT40, yeah. some better than others. Some excellent GT40s, incidentally. There's, there's some and, very good ones. And mm. and I think the RS200 was done quite a bit as well. And I, I, I guess I kind of get that for, for many people, for mere mortals like us, I guess, this is the closest they're ever going to get to owning one. And so they want to, something that is as close to as possible. The GT40 kit cars, I'm not hugely mad about because they tend to replicate in many ways the original cars. So there are some that are better than others. And we, we spoke about this actually um, the last time we were at the British Motor Show, which is coming up in the not too distant future. And as I have some other news about that, actually, I'll come back to in just a bit. And the cars themselves built in a very similar fashion, fuel tanks in the same place with a V8 at the back, more modern suspension potentially, but 
Otherwise, to all intents and purposes, similar sort of performance and probably the closest that you're going to get to owning one. I think that's kind of okay because it still has the performance to back it up. It still has the ethos behind it. If someone had got a Sierra or Mondeo or something and stuck a GT40 body on it, that's not okay. So I don't know. Am I just contradicting myself here by saying some some of these are okay? Does it does it come down to quality? I, don't, I just don't know. Uh, indeed, it, I, I drove one which was uh, the two liter Pinto engine for a GT40, and it just didn't. A two liter Pinto. Just, it just didn't do it. God, no, yeah, it, was, it wouldn't. It's a waste of time and effort. The other one, of course, is the um, the Cobra, isn't it? The AC Cobra. Mm. There's any any number of kits. I mean, Autocraft probably the most famous, and they were, I think seen as semi-official continuation weren't they but everyone and his wife has made kits for uh cobras and some of those have got two liter engines in you think you're rather missing the whole point there aren't you it um yeah. yes it, you've got the look but um i suppose that's you know i think one of those did actually come up on um bangers and cash and the guy was seemed happy enough with his two liter engine and he said it's got all the go all the flash doesn't cost me a fortune to run doesn't drink fuel like the real thing so fair enough horses for courses but if you're gonna do it you know do it probably at least stick a rover three and a half v8 in it or something that's the commonest drop in and and that works quite well it's still a v8 it's still got a reasonable amount of grunt and it sounds about right i knew a chap who had the had one of the the good quality i can't remember what it was i've attempted to say something like a king cobra but it was it was one of the well-respected cobra cobra cars that are built for you rather than being a kid Uh, and it had the ford v8 in the bag and my lasting memory of that is that at any any speed, any jab of the throttle, it tried to kill you. Just tried to turn you around constantly. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Very fast. It certainly felt very fast, but just unbelievably leery. Definitely steer by throttle. I remember driving a, a Mark IV Cobra when, when they reappeared, when, when um, uh, AC cars started building them again and i managed to lose that on a dual carriageway and uh, just rotate that a couple of times it's very pretty it was early morning there was nobody about so um i got away with it but it was uh, just a little over ambitious on my part <laughs> yeah that was the, that was the ac cobra pirouette was no, i think about it and i mentioned british motor show and another car that likes to pirouette if you're not careful has an appetite for crowds and the like unfortunately is the mustang and the British Motor Show, they're doing a bit of a tour around the UK at the moment, running on biofuel, which is something which I won't try and explain after my last attempt to try to explain it. <laughs> um, but they're running around the country on biofuel and uh, demoing that. So hopefully I can find some sort of sensible way of explaining to you how this works after the motor show. Um, but I look forward to seeing how it does. And we've mentioned many times before that biofuel really does give a future to so many of the cars that we love and cherish and, and, and want to own and want to see continue on because of course you can run your normal petrol beloved car on something other than dinosaur juice and I think that um, gives us the opportunity for a bit of a bright future so although we sort of mentioned it in passing I think this really is something important. I interviewed somebody at uh, Revival last year who got this wonderful thing that you could fit to uh, your classic car uh, so the only um, thing that came out in the exhaust was was water. And um, he, he went through a very, very long explanation. And I nodded and agreed in all the right places. I didn't understand a word of it. It was very, very complicated chemical interchange. But it was just it was a fascinating idea. Somebody must be able to do these things. I'm not sure it's <laughs> sexy, but I think we can all agree it's important. If it means that we can help protect the planet and also keep behind the wheel of the cars that we uh, that we love 
I think it's it's got to be worth a proper look. Yeah, so. definitely. Just on that topic, as we were talking and saving the planet and sort of no emissions and all that sort of thing, I found the cheapest Tesla Roadster for Ooh. sale, certainly in Europe anyway. It's in Belgium. It's got what it purports to be 125,000 miles, though I think that's probably kilometres. That's only £97,188. There you go, Parity bargain. bargain. And what is there to wear? Just the batteries, eh? I'm sure we can fix those. And on that note, I guess it's probably time for us to say goodbye. We look forward in the future to speaking about all things F1, including, of course, Ford, Red Bull and all the other launches, which, of course, we're keeping a keen eye on. So look out for that soon. In the meantime, take care of yourselves. I've been Mike. Goodbye. I've been Graham and I often am. And I've been Dave. Take care. See you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production. Dave would like to tell you, for the love of God, turn your lights on in the fog. <laughs> exactly. Please, f- turn your fog lights off when it's not foggy. You don't need them. But when it is foggy, turn your f- 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 fog lights on. <laughs> <laughs> Highway code 236. That's all you need. Thank you. Thank you.